Welcome to 45 Forward, the beginning of the rest of your life. Each week, host Ron Ruel and his guests discuss topics of interest to many listeners in their 40s and beyond, including retirement, caring for aging parents, health, lifestyle, and more. It's time to think ahead to the next half of your life, and we'll help you plan it with ease. Now, here is Ron Roel. Welcome, everyone, to another edition of 45 Forward, where our mission is to help you, our listeners, from Los Angeles to Long Island, make your second half of life even better than the first. There's a saying, everyone has a book in them, but the question for many of us is, how do I get it out? In today's episode, award-winning author Dr. Jan Yeager reflects on her life as a writer, sociologist, speaker, and book coach, talking about her canon of more than 50 books, a wide-ranging list of nonfiction topics, novels, illustrated children's books. Jan will talk about her unique experiences writing a number of her major titles, including How to Finish Everything You Start, When Friendship Hurts, How to Deal with Friends Who Betray, Abandon, and Wound You, Victims, her classic book about crime victims, and her recently published memoir, Looking Backward, Going Forward. A book coach, workshop leader, college professor, and founder of a small press, Jane will also go over insights into the writing process, as well as how to get published and promote your book, hands-on advice for aspiring writers, but also thoughts that even seasoned writers might find useful. So now let's meet our guest, the 50-plus author, Jan Yeager. Jan, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh it would be nice to be 50-plus age-wise again, but <laughs> luckily I've used those years well, and I am 70-plus. Well, that still counts as 50-plus in my book, so. Oh, okay. <laughs> yes, okay. So listen, it's a pleasure to, you know, uh, to talk with you again. You and I have a long history, uh, and we were reminiscing as we talked earlier about, wow, we can't believe it's been quite a while, but um, for the benefit of my audience, I, I, I've interviewed Jan a number of times over the years as a reporter. Uh, I think the, I remember specifically I was doing an article about long-term friendships, and I knew it. you had done a book on friendship. But since that time, and uh, you've done books on lots of things, and uh, you know you are really uh, a writer. You know, not just an expert who wants to write a book about that something to give themselves more credibility, but you've written really written on a lot of topics. You're really a, a real writer. <laughs> so <laughs> let me. So we'll, we'll talk about your memoir later on. Sure. But first, why don't we just talk about, um, you know, uh, well, how you got started writing and uh, at what point did you say, like, well, wait a minute, I'm I'm really a writer. Well, it's interesting that uh, I know you want to talk about the memoir later, but it was actually by writing the memoir that so much of my life came to me in a much more cohesive way. So my answer about how I became a writer now that I've written my memoir, is that um, basically I was a latchkey kid. And mm -hmm. um, when I was writing my memoir, I'm saying to myself, now, why didn't my mother put me in after school? Why didn't I hang out with friends? But instead, on Mondays and Thursdays, beginning at the age of 10, I was all alone till about seven at night. Mm. And... Uh, I started writing. I wrote my first novel at 10 years old, a full-length huh. play at 13. And the interesting thing is that uh, one of the re one of the one of the attributes of a writer, especially of books, because it's such a long process, is the ability to work alone for long periods of time. So so I can thank my mother. I have a mug that I know 
uh, it, those in watch listening in audio can't see this, but my younger son sent this to me, mom, thanks for not leaving me in a basket somewhere. <laughs> so I can say to my mom who passed away 10 years ago at the age of 90, mom, thanks for abandoning me those days because I turned it into a good thing and became a writer. Wow. And you've, you, I understand you wrote your first published um, novel. Uh, no, I guess it was a nonfiction, nonfiction. book at, yeah. at 27. And that right. was about... Uh, uh, the history of vegetarianism. Yeah. So how did you pick that as a first topic? Uh, well, it actually started my senior year of college. I took a wonderful speaking class with Mrs. Zamor. Mm -hmm. And she said, uh, speak about what you care about or speak about what you want to learn about. And I was a vegetarian. And I said to myself, um, who are some of the famous vegetarians? And at that time, there was no major history of vegetarianism. Mm -hmm. So I started researching and researched over many years. Uh I heard that Hitler, the rumor that Hitler was a vegetarian, mm. and I didn't know if it was actually true or if it was a rumor being spread to, you know, make the movement look bad. So I decided, and that's one of my themes to all writers, you know, don't go with secondary research, go to the horse's mouth. So I contacted Albert Speer, who was the highest uh, Nazi to survive Nuremberg because he apologized. He had gotten out of Spandau prison. And I said to him, would you confirm or refute if Hitler was a vegetarian? And he said, well, if, if you come to Heidelberg, you can interview me. And huh. here I am uh, at that time. I was, uh, I think, 23 years old. Mm. And I was working at Macmillan as a, as a editorial assistant and I was only allowed to have a two-week vacation, but in order to get the 350 round-trip um, discounted fare on Lufthansa, I needed to be away for three weeks. So I asked my boss, Nancy Kreshkoff, can I, uh, I guess I can't go. And much to my delightful surprise, she said, well, I guess you just have to take the third week without pay. So I went on this three-week research tour trip. I followed that up by going to India to talk to everyone I could get to who knew Gandhi. And um, I couldn't find a publisher. Everyone says it's so hard to find a publisher now. Well, guess what? Mm. <laughs> it's always been hard to find a commercial publisher. So I had literally two filing cabinets of re original research I did surveys, interviews. So I asked a professor I had met through uh, someone I met in a writing group, in a writing class, um, would he stand up for me if I asked to teach a course in the history of vegetarianism at the new school? And, you know, to this day, he says, I don't know why, but I, I said I thought you could do it. Huh. <laughs> so... Uh, I got to teach the course, but before I taught even the first class, I got a letter from uh, Patricia Crystal, who was my editor, who became my editor at Scribner. And it was one of those letters that all aspiring writers dream of getting. And it said, mm. your course sounds so fascinating. 
have you ever considered writing a book? You know, it's like, hey, hello, I've been That's working right. on a book for four years. Wow. So I overnight wrote a 100-page proposal. And, you know, today all the um, literary agents, all the publishers, they have on their websites what they want in a proposal. Right. So fortunately, they didn't have that back then. So I just didn't trusted my gut instinct. I want to show them that I am not just a wish list. I know this stuff. So right. I wrote a 100-page proposal, and I got offered a contract overnight, and we met at an Italian restaurant. She brought the first half of the advance, which was $1,000, to the lunch, uh, to hmm. yeah, the lunch, even though I hadn't signed the contract yet. Um, I went on the Today Show. Imagine hmm. my very first book. Wow. And uh and I went on a uh 18 city uh cross country tour. Wow. And then I sold the UK rights because I said to myself, and this is important for anyone who either wants to be a writer or is a writer. I said to myself, what publisher in the UK is like Scribner's? Mm -hmm. And it was Routledge and Keegan Paul. And mm -hmm. I asked the editor in chief if he would like to review my manuscript. And I airmailed it to him. It was before email. And uh, lo and behold, they bought it. And I went on the BBC and went on a UK tour. Mm. Wow. So from that first book, you you were already uh, en route to uh, some of the content for your eventual book on how to write, publish, and promote your own book. So yes, um, well, well, I didn't I didn't turn to having my own company till I had published uh, over ten books with major houses, mm -hmm. and they were all wonderful houses and great experiences. But one of the reasons I did it. And it's in 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 the theme of forty five forward, is that uh, my husband and I decided that we wanted to raise our sons outside of Manhattan, mm -hmm. and Manhattan was very much. I was there for fifteen years. It was very much a part of my publishing history. Um, my publisher Scribner was on Fifth Avenue, and what I would do is, I, I'm being honest, I would go to the corner. Because mm -hmm. I lived on 17th Street mm -hmm. and I would call up the publicist and I'd say, I'm in your neighborhood. Can I stop by? And she'd say, oh, sure. Come on by. So it was a very fluid type of um, situation. But once we moved to Connecticut, it was really hard to have that kind of interaction. It was before email. And I went all the way to Manhattan from Connecticut. It's only a 45-minute train ride, but you have to get to the train. And then once you get to Manhattan, you got to get to where you're going. And I won't say the name of the publishing company, hmm. but I had a, an interview with one of the editors to talk about a new possible book. And uh, they stood me up. Hmm. And it was literally four hours round trip. Wow. So. Hmm. That was one of the reasons I, and then I wrote a book on friendship, an extension of my dissertation on friendship. Mm -hmm. And the academic publishers said it was too popular. Mm -hmm. And the popular publishers said it was too academic. I had literally over a hundred 
rejections. So I belong to a, a writer association that I still belong to, the American Society of Journalists and Authors. And uh, a printer must have bought their mailing list because I got this letter, this form letter, and it said, Dear writer, have you ever thought of taking control of your book career and mm. publishing yourself? Now, you have to realize this was back in the mid-90s before the self-publishing, uh, I don't want to say the word explosion because it has too many negative con right. connotations, but the uh, renaissance of self-publishing. Mm -hmm. And that 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 line just resonated with me. So I started my own company. But I even with my own company, I've continued to publish with commercial houses. Mm -hmm. And I think that's another very important theme. Um, so many writers feel like, uh, you know, even Stephen King tried self-publishing. It was not for him. It was too mm -hmm. much work, too much minutia. So you don't have to, if you self-publish, that doesn't have to be what you always do. Similarly, if you go with a commercial publisher and you want to experiment with self-publishing, that's okay. Right. So, you know, it's um, the, the important thing, Ron, is the book. Right, right. So let's talk about the book. It, uh, now, you've had a lot of different subjects. Um, and I was going to ask you how you come up with your titles. Now, you've just given me a hint. So you're uh, when I interviewed you, I think the first time was on friendship. So, but that came out of your dissertation, right? Well, the 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 I, the the word I coined was friendships, and believe it or not, it's, okay. it's it's in the Urban Dictionary, which wow. is very flattering. Um, and uh, that was an exciting experience because after being turned down by a hundred publishers, um, not only did that book take off. Mm -hmm. But I went on Oprah, mm -hmm. The View, how many non-celebrities managed to get on The View? Right. Uh, right. The Today Show, um, CBS Sunday Morning, uh, you know, uh, it went into nine languages. Right. You know, it was just a really exciting tour de force. And I, and also that's another important thing. Before you go on, Jane, what's what's uh, so to give give me a, a sense of the theme of the book. So it's friend shifts as opposed to friendships. So right, friend shifts. The, the 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 concept is that not only who our friends are may shift through our lifetime, but even our definition of friendship. And you know, this goes back to 1997 when the book came out. Um, at that point. And because of the PhD in sociology, and I teach sociology of family, um, there was this ridiculous theory that if you don't have a friend for life, you're a failure. Um, and I'm at a point, one of the reasons I wrote the memoir is my friends sadly are passing on from uh, life related, uh, you know, I, I hate the term natural causes. Right. Because my mother-in-law, God bless her, lived to 97. So when your friend dies at 68 of a rare cancer, you know, it doesn't seem like a natural cause. Mm -hmm. But um, so that that so friendships is is that there's more fluidity in friendship than, you know, and it, and it was very 
um, rewarding to people to learn that, oh, wow, so if I'm not still best friends with someone I met when I was five, it's okay. Um, you know, if if now I want a friend, I can call up at two in the morning, even if I don't want, if even if I decide not to. But the superficial, the more superficial friends I had are not right for me. So, um, so that that's the concept: friendships. And the fun thing is that even though I did the Oprah show back in '99, um, in the last few years, she decided to take her best hits and mm. put them in her podcast so if listeners go to the oprah website uh they put my name in um have you forgotten your friends was the name of the show uh they can actually hear my segment where i give two women who had a faded friendship um some advice about how to reconnect yeah well, that's a really important subject. And of course, it fits right into my theme of 45 forward because, you know, people, just like you said, you know, you you have these friends from high school or even, you know, your neighborhood and then college and things shift. So you may have a couple who you, you maintain. I, I actually just uh, went to my 50th college reunion and, um, you know, it was interesting. There are a couple of people that I've stayed in touch with over the years, but most I haven't. And yet, um, it was a rewarding experience, and and you could see that I was friends at one time with these people, and there were there were shifts, and there was still some relevancy to talk about, but not kind of a any kind of um, you know impending like oh my god you know do I need to be in touch with this person again? What oh my god I, do I wasn't in touch? It's okay, your life changes, and and I think this is an issue too with the, the whatever it is you need to maintain some sort of relationships or new ones as you age sure. as, as you said um you lose people so so Jane we're going to take a, a short break but folks when we come back we'll be talking much more with author Jan Yeager so don't go anywhere Voice America at Facebook.com forward slash Voice America for juicy updates from your favorite radio shows and podcasts. Today, our 40s sit firmly in midlife. We are starting to feel our place and have many productive years ahead. But now is the best time to plan for our future life. Listen for 45 Forward with host Ron Roel. From retirement to health and technology to caring for our parents, no topic is off the table. We don't have a roadmap to our actual future, but we can start to plan more effectively. Tune into 45 Forward, Mondays at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific Time, on the Voice America Variety Channel. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Planning for college? Tune in to Getting In, a college coach conversation for tips, techniques, and insider perspectives. Hosted by Bright Horizons College Coach, a team of former admissions and financial aid officers, the show takes a deep dive on subjects such as choosing the best essay topic, negotiating merit aid, and navigating the common app. 
Listeners will learn what really goes into college acceptance decisions from the experts who used to make them. New episodes drop Thursdays on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with Jan Yeager, a sociologist, writer, coach, speaker, teacher, and award-winning author of more than 50 books, who is reflecting on her lifetime of writing. So before the break, we were talking with Jan about her book, Friendships. Not friendships, but friendships. How friendship, friendships Friend, shift over friendships. the course. <laughs> right? <laughs> Say that three times. You know, shift over the course of your lifetime. And then and during the break, she mentioned that her latest book on friendship is on friend friendivity, right? Right. My right. new word. <laughs> right, right. Because friend, but but it's also important to say, as I do in friendivity, that um, yes, friendships, especially positive ones, can extend your life, which is where I got the word friendivity, longevity plus friendship. But research has found that negative friends can actually cause a lot of stress and physical issues and, mm-hmm. you know, can even end your life. So, wow. so it's not all roses, but, right, but right. It's, it's still an important uh, relationship that people need to put the time and effort into. Right. Great. Okay. So we'll take a sharp shift now to another one of your well-known books called Victims. Um, it's uh, one of your classics about crime victims. Now, how did you come up with this book? And and uh, I, I assume this, you did a lot of study, but also as a personal you know, yes. experience of yours. Yes. Uh, unfortunately, it was the outgrowth of a personal tragedy, which was when I was 20, my 23-year-old brother um, on the way home from reviewing an off-off-Broadway play for a uh, newspaper that he wrote for, uh, was accosted by a teenage gang, and sadly, mm. they stabbed him. It was a robbery, and he uh, succumbed to his uh, wounds a few days later. Oh. So when it happened, I was majoring in art. Um, I even went for an art therapy masters which i i did the first year but i decided instead to leave that field um and uh, when i went into publishing in my spare time uh i was writing the vegetable passion but then after i finished that i i just had to find out more about the criminal justice system mm-hmm. interestingly i got a mr scribner um really uh, like my work. And when I said I wanted to write a book on crime victims, he immediately gave me a new contract, uh, more than twice the advance for the first two books, mm-hmm. the first book. And, um, but I said to myself, what have I gotten myself into? Mm. <laughs> so with contract in hand, I applied and was accepted for a master's in criminal justice. And instead of writing the book, I spent the next two years working with Dr. Arthur Niederhofer, John Jay, as my mentor. 
And I went around the world interviewing police, interviewing crime victims. I wrote a master's thesis on uh, victims of crime and social change. And I didn't even concern myself with the with the with the book. I mm. I just wanted to feel that I understood the criminal justice system. Uh, so I got my degree and then I went on to write the book and I went on the Today Show. Uh, Edwin Newman interviewed me. And when the book came out, it was one of the first books to look at the plight of the crime victim. What Dr. Martin Simmons, who I was fortunate enough to study with also, he was a police officer turned psychiatrist. And he referred to it as the second wound that the victim was victimized by the criminal and then, sadly, by the criminal justice system. Uh, fortunately, it's gotten better in many ways, although we've been having, as you know, with some of the changes in the last year or two, it's gotten a little bit harder for victims uh, again. But um, but it's, it's an interesting um, story that I do tell in the retell in the um, memoir that um, by the time I came to finish the, the book, I didn't want to talk about my brother's murder. It was still quite painful. It hadn't been that long since he died. And I thought the book stood on its own because I mm -hmm. had interviewed so many people. Well, everyone listening should know when you sign a contract with a commercial publisher and you write a proposal, that proposal is is stapled to your contract. Mm. And <clears throat> my editor said to me, in the proposal, you said in a preface you would write about your brother um, and his murder. Um, if you don't do that, we're canceling the contract. Wow. Okay. So um, so I was so traumatized, even though I rarely have writer's block, I could not write that preface. So what I did is at like three o'clock in the morning, I pulled out a tape recorder and I spoke it and I cried as I spoke it and I hired a trans someone to transcribe it. I didn't even want to listen to it. And I got the copy. And I was able to edit it because the interesting thing is that once it was written down, it was a different experience. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's interesting because I recently found that edited version of the preface from the publisher and they made almost no changes in mm. the copy. Um, wow. So um, so the book came out and it was a real tour de force. Uh, amazing reviews, amazing uh, media coverage. I went to a major show in Chicago, and at the time, there was this horrific killing of uh, several nurses. Uh, I think it was eight nurses. And in the interview, um, in the show, they kept saying the name of the killer. Uh, so I said, if anyone says his name again, I am walking off this set. I want to hear the names of his victims and I don't want to hear his name again. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, it was very powerful. And a few years later, that same interviewer had a different show and she actually called me to be on her mm -hmm. new show. Cause she said that was such a powerful moment. 
Right. Now, uh, you know, I have noticed, you know, I guess in coverage of um, uh, crises or crimes that there has been much more, you know, coverage of the victims. Is that, do you think, did that come in part out of your book or uh, it, it just seems like that? What, well, what I think your... I, I helped and so did Morton Bard, who was a psychologist mm-hmm. at uh, CUNY. He and I, uh, our books, his book actually came out a year after mine, but mm-hmm. he was the PhD in right. psychology. And he's actually one of the reasons I decided to go on and get the PhD because it was like, you know, he was getting more of the requests mm-hmm. for interviews right. than me. So right. I was 28 years old and I said to myself, am I going to spend the rest of my life explaining why I don't have a law degree or a PhD? Huh. I'm going to get the PhD. So I went back to school. Little did I know it would take four years. Right. But um, but um, I think that we really helped raise the consciousness and um, the media consciousness. The, you know, even now um, it's a little, it's interesting because I'm teaching victimology and have been for many years. Right. And just this morning for my class, my asynchronous class, I said, uh, because they're uh, they're going to be reading um, chapter seven in my textbook, Essentials of Victimology, which just came out in 2022, about primary and secondary victims of homicide. So I asked them in a discussion board, I said, um, uh, no, I said in my uh, overview this morning about, hey, you're going to be reading this chapter. I said, consider the situation with the uh, gag order that um, the parents of the four victims of the University of Idaho murders feel some of them want that gag order lifted because they want to be able to talk about their their, uh, Mm -hmm. children. Um, Do you, you know, I asked them, do you feel that it's fair um, is this pro or anti-victim? Um, you know, what about, you know, so so I think people are, are much more aware and considering those issues than they were years ago, yeah. which is, which is yeah. a good development. Right, right. Um, no, so each book seems to have its own process, um, but, you know, you've, you've seems, you do have um, you know, a systematic approach to a lot of things. So d- talk a little bit about your process, about once you come up with the, t- with the topic. I'm sure it, it well, ch- changes well, with each book, but... Well, no, it's interesting that I would say, uh, well, at this point, I think I have 55 books, 57 books. I have to count them up. But I would say 90% uh, or not, even 95% were my own out of my own passion, my own interests, my own areas of concern. Right. But there was an interesting experience with Prentice Hall back in 19, I think 1982, that actually led to me writing over the years seven books, including the more recent, the most recent one, How to Finish Everything You Start, on time management. I had a very nice agent at the time. And uh, I just recently found that letter, and in the letter he said, Prentice Hall has asked me to find an author to write a book on any of these eight topics, and one of them was time management. Mm-hmm. And at that point, it's one of the few times that it was the publisher who gave me the idea, 
And yeah, I've always been a semi-organized person. Uh, my my daughter-in-law gave me this wonderful makeup bag. Uh, I only pretend to be organized is stamped on it. It was very funny for Mother's Day last year. Um, but the idea of uh, wow, wow, there's there's something called time management. Mm-hmm. And you know, now you have to realize some of the because I am more than forty five, <laughs> some of these topics I have helped to make it mainstream. I have helped to, you know, through these seven books to, you know, now to say to someone time management, everyone knows about time management. I just published a book for college students, time management and other essential skills for time for college students. But at the time, time management was this very unique hybrid field. Mm -hmm. So I found it fascinating. I took workshops, I researched it, I did surveys, I did interviews. And it was really transformative. I interviewed Isaac Asimov, who when he passed away had published more than 300 books. Mm. Makes my 50 look like (laughs) child's play. And I said to him, what's your secret? And he gave me the idea from his example of what I developed, which I call creative procrastination. Creative procrastination is different than your your regular procrastination. Regular procrastination is, I don't want to do this. I'm going to watch television. I don't want to do this. I'm going to go hit the refrigerator. Creative procrastination, which Isaac Asimov instead used selective attention, he told me that he had several typewriters because we're going back quite a few years. Right. And if he had a block on one uh, book, he would then go to the other typewriter where he would pick up where he left off on the other book. So he had selective attention. But creative procrastination is where you substitute another priority task. So you're moving either that project along, like if you have a report to do and you're blocked on the introduction, Mm -hmm. work on the conclusion, Um, you know, and it was just such a, an exciting concept. And, um, and I was all, I've always been grateful to Prentice Hall for opening that door for me. I wish there was more of that. I just had that happen with a publisher in the UK. Mm but it's an outgrowth of my friendship uh, book, my pr- friendship research. But I said to her, um, what about a book on this topic? And she said, wow, that's a great idea. So I'm pursuing creating a proposal. But 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 in that case, it is my idea. So I would say it's usually my idea, you know, what I'm concerned about, mm-hmm. what I feel the world needs. Right. Um, are there a couple of just uh, takeaways for how you, how do you finish everything you start? I mean, would you can you pull out a couple of the the main? Uh... Well, one of my secrets as a self publisher is um, Amazon. <laughs> right. Oh, okay, so Doubleday gave me my biggest advance so far, and I decided to let being a new mother take precedent. So they called me up and said, "Where's our book?" Give us our money back or give us our book. So that cured me. I finished the book. But if you're a self-publisher, if you don't have anyone saying you must get this book out, so what do you do? So one of my tricks is 
um, Amazon has a pre-order program and you are allowed to um, give yourself a year in advance as the deadline. And I did that with the memoir because I kept putting off writing the memoir. I was supposed to write the memoir to when I turned at 69 for when I turned 70. 70 came and went. So what I did is when I turned 73, I put into Amazon KDP, I'm going to publish this in a year. And guess what? Uh, I think it was October came along. It was going to come out in January 2023. October comes along. It's like, uh uh-oh, if I don't write this book, I'm going to be banned for a year from the pre-order program. So I forced myself to finish. And I'm really glad I did. Uh, Because uh, I had, at Grove Press, I was an acquisitions editor, among other things. And this man submitted a wonderful book to me. And I loved it. And I said, I want to offer you a contract. I got approval. I have to make a few changes. I'll get back to you. Well, I got back to him a couple more times. He was never finished. He passed away in his 90s, and he still hadn't published that book. Um, so part of it is creating a, a leaving death out of it, <laughs> creating deadlines that you really well, yeah, uh, force yourself into. Talk, right, and also what I talk about and how to finish everything you start, I think the reason why it's taken off like gangbusters is that, um, uh, you know, fear of success, fear of failure. You know, if you don't finish that book, you can't get a bad review. So you need to get in touch with, uh, if you have a fear of success, maybe you have family members who have published books and you're afraid you're going to out, you know, outshine them. So there's so many issues, um, but but I have a very important chapter that I feel extremely um, close to in the book. and mm-hmm. and. Um, it's the chapter towards the end when not finishing is okay, but it's for the right reasons. Right. And, and that, that's a very important thing to know. I mean, you know, I had a, a, an engagement that didn't work out. My kids will joke about it. Like, I'm so glad, you know? Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So that's a good point too, that it's okay, you know, to not finish something if there's a a good reason for it. Right. Right. But it shouldn't be procrastination. It shouldn't be issues that uh, if you dealt with them would allow that process to unfold. Got it. Okay. So uh, folks, we need to take another short break, but don't go. We have a lot more to talk about in our final segment with Jan Yeager, an award-winning book writer of more than 50 books. So don't go away. Uh, We'll be right back. Voice America is on LinkedIn. Connect with us today. Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. 
Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics, reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life, and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Every conversation we have with the people in our lives is part of a relationship with them. From coworkers and bosses to spouses, kids, and parents to your favorite cashier at the grocery store, the path a relationship takes can have many twists and turns. The Relationship Road Trip, hosted by Dr. Don Azevedo, is here to provide a roadmap for your relationships. The Relationship Road Trip, Thursdays at 8 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to 45 Forward. To reach Ron Roel or his guest on the program, please send an email to ron.roel at gmail.com. That's ron.roel at gmail.com. Now back to 45 Forward. Welcome back, folks. We're talking with Jan Yeager, uh, an award-winning author of more than 50 books. Before the break, we were talking with Jan about a number of her books, uh, most of which are nonfiction, but she's also published four novels. So I wanted to ask her, well, how are they different from your nonfiction books in, in the terms of your writing process? I know some of it is that you wrote some, a couple of them with your with your husband. Right. But beyond that, what, what, are, what are the differences in terms of writing and publishing and promoting? Sure. Well, my favorite fiction story, and I'm still waiting for it to happen again, was um, my second novel that I actually co-authored with my husband. But the core of the novel, Just Your Everyday People, was a dream. And from the dream I was smart enough to write down until the published book, the plot didn't change very much. So that was a very amazing experience. Uh, the very first novel I wrote, Untimely Death, I wrote I wrote a draft and uh, I showed it to my husband and he read it and he said, can I come in and work with you on it? And I agreed. And we your husband is also a writer. Yeah. He's also a writer. And that book um, led to a Swedish translation that led to an author tour in Sweden, where mm. the publisher put us up at a hotel that used to be a prison. Mm. And uh, we fortunately were able to bring our kids with us. Um, you know, we covered our kids. It wasn't that the publisher picked up the tab for the whole family, but it was a wonderful family experience. Um, so writing fiction, it's uh, a different process, a different experience. It's absolutely powerful and emotionally rewarding but it is really harder to 
find readers um, because you don't have the news hook mm. uh, that you have with uh, nonfiction. And uh, if you can get people to open that non that novel and start the first page, they usually keep going and love it. But it's it's just um, uh, a, a a much a much harder sell um, because so many people like uh, we are watching my husband and I Joe Pickett. And it's a wonderful series. It's in the second season. And it's based on, um, uh, I think it's C.J. Box is uh, the novelist. And he's written like, you know, 30 novels. So you have people who they have the novelist they love. And to get them to try a new novelist, it's like getting them to try a new brand of ketchup or mustard, mm. you know. Mm. So, but as a writer, it's wonderfully uh, rewarding. And The Pretty One was the first novel I wrote on my own. And I actually told my husband that I'm not going to let you read it. I'm getting it to the proofreader because I don't want you to hmm. help in the process. Um, and that um, led to On the Run, which was an interesting experience. That was me taking my husband's screenplay and turning it into a novel and adding a couple of new adventures towards mm. the, in the back part of the novel. Um, and On the Run is the more recent one. It's about two teenagers from different sides of the track, so to speak, and how they meet on the, on the run. Right. Um, but one of the things I want to point out before we finish is um, I highly recommend that anyone who wants to write Consider getting your work in all three formats, ebook, print, and audiobook, because there are people that they just like that format. And if you're not going to do audiobooks, you're going to lose that whole audience. And if you only do print, you're going to lose your ebook readers. So, you know, Try to have it in all the various formats. Right. So let's move on to, before we end, uh, to your memoir. It's, you've recently published it. Um, and uh, in our previous conversations, you mentioned you wanted to, to you, when doing it, you wanted to splice in some lessons for writers as well. Yeah. It's not just a history of yourself. So what did you, uh, so tell us a little bit about the memoir, um, perhaps some of the things you learned about it. You've mentioned a couple of things earlier, but in, in writing it, why you what you hope what you hope to get out of it, and what you hope to get to, to deliver to the readers. Well, I wanted to tell my story, and then towards, especially well, throughout the throughout the memoir, looking back, we're going forward, reflections on a writer's life. Throughout the memoir, there are life lessons because even how I got my book, my job at. Um, Grove Press, and you know, there's a an expression chutzpah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so yep. I interviewed mm. Barney for an article I was working on for um, uh, about who's who in East Hampton. And at the end of the interview, he turns around and says, "Would you be willing to? Would you like to work here?" And um, at that time, I was a um, uh, an assistant editor in the school division at Macmillan. And I really wanted to get into trade or popular book publishing. And I said, yes. And he said, well, this goes into the um, days of uh, the women's movement. 
uh, before the women's movement, if you'll make my coffee and answer the phone, <laughs> I'll teach you everything you want to know about publishing. And he kept his word. I mean, I learned foreign rights, acquisitions, sales, uh, permissions. So um, so I, I accepted the job, but I was really worried. I was 25, and I had the chutzpah to call up his former editor-in-chief, and I said, uh, Barney just offered me a job um, working at Grove Press. Um, do you think it's legitimate? And he said, well, I'm paraphrasing, but he said, you know, if if there was anything else that he wanted, he doesn't have to get give you a job. He'll just, you know, say that's what he means. And he was absolutely right. Barney was a total gentleman. It was a great experience. And so uh, what I do throughout the memoir, when I share anecdotes like that, but then towards the end of the book, I even wanted to put in my advice, or not, not so much advice, but what I'd learned, you know, as a writer. And, um, and I, also, I also see the memoir as a celebration of writing in all forms. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I, I've written for, you know, Harper's and Opera News and the New York Times op-ed page and Family Circle, Glamour. Um, so it's not just about books. But, um, you know, and I even threw in Final Gifts, uh, you know, a book that really helped me when my dad was uh, dying of cancer, you know, talking about the power of books, um, saying, you know, hey, if you're not a writer, but you have a story to tell, hire a ghostwriter, talk into a tape recorder, get the tapes transcribed, you know, you count, your stories count. And, uh, you know, uh, I've been in 35 languages. Here's on page 303. Here is advice from someone who has successfully published more than 50 award-winning books translated into 35 languages. I have had my rejections along the way. If you believe in a rejected book, which could have been rejected for reasons you are not privy to, the publisher decided to purge itself of authors not selling at least 100,000 copies. Try selling that proposal or book to another publisher. But if you cannot publish it yourself. Mm -hmm. um, and the very last line in the memoir, read on, write on, speak on. And it's interesting because I uh, asked uh, the amazing actress, speaker, um, singer who a uh, narrator to narrate my book, Gail Cruz, who also narrated our hit, um, how to uh, finish everything you start. Mm -hmm. And then I said, well, I better listen to what she narrated. So I literally listened to the, the memoir as a narration. And it was really an interesting experience mm -hmm. to, to listen to it, you know, you don't have to. If you listen to an audio book, you don't have to listen to the whole thing at once. You right. know, you can, you know, listen to a chapter here and there. So, um, so the 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 writing of the uh, of the memoir was, um, you know, really uh, a, the catalyst was my close friend Sharon passing away, and my other close friend Elia. Mm -hmm. 
um, and 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 feeling sad that I didn't have a record of their lives, mm-hmm. even though you know I obviously talked to them and got together and knew them very right. well. But um, Elia was a brilliant director, and she did write some plays. Uh, but I would have loved her to have written her memoir and right, the same right. thing with Sharon. So going back to your initial premise, it's like everyone does have a book in them. Get it out one way or the other. You know, that's right. That's yeah. right. Now I have uh, uh, how to self-publish your book is published by Square One. Oh, we uh, missed. Say that again. It's literally their Bible. Right. Square One right. Publishers, and I purposely use Square One because they have a writer's. Uh, line of books so right. they pr- cross promote sure. and then my latest book with square one is how to promote your book right. and by the way you had asked me about upcoming uh events yeah let's talk about I'm, upcoming events i'm, I'm doing a, a a a blitz of events in the first week of august and the best way to find them is i'm still finalizing all the details but there's going to be an event on Meet the Love of Your Life, which is a cat uh, goes beyond. You know, I did a book on that in 12 languages. Uh, time management is another one. Uh, how to finish everything you start, how to self publish, how to promote your book. Um, so the best thing for listeners to do is to go to Eventbrite and just put my name into the search engine. And once all those events are loaded up, they'll get that information. Right. Um, to and find your website? out more, yeah. to T- find tell us out your more website. about my books, my website, drjanjaeger.com, uh, drjanjaeger, Y-A-G-E-R.com. They can uh, sign up for my mailing list. Uh, they There's a blog at my website. Mm-hmm. There's lots of books they can click on. Uh, there's even free content from various books. And I am trying to develop a new uh, writing system through Substack. Um, so that will hopefully Great. have a link to that once I get that going. Great. Okay. Well, there's there's always much more to talk about with Jen Yeager, but that's where we'll have to leave it for today. I want to thank Jen for a great thought-provoking uh, conversation uh, once again, you can learn more about Jen, uh, about her, her background on my website, clicking the 45 forward tab. And again, as she mentioned, going on her website, uh, Uh So you can tell your friends if they miss my conversation with Jen today, they can still listen to it as a podcast on voiceamerica.com. Search for 45 forward again, or go to my website, Rowell Resources, and click on the 45 forward tab and you can listen to her then. So be sure to join me next Monday at 12 noon Pacific, 3 p.m. Eastern. It's Juneteenth, so we'll be on holiday schedule, but you can still listen to a terrific encore show with Keith Alabone, the owner of Good Goods Vintage and Antiques. As we head into the summer, Keith will recount memorable stories about his antiquing road trips. So until then, keep moving forward, folks. 45 Forward. Thank you for tuning in to 45 Forward. Please join your host, Ron Roel, for another great show next Monday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. We wish you a great week.